Leaving a Legacy is brought to you by HipstersOfTheCoast.com and can be found on the Top Deck app every Friday. You can support the show directly at Patreon.com slash Leaving a Legacy. Magic is power. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Leaving a Legacy. My name is Patrick, I'm your Legacy newbie. With me this week, as always, Mr. Jerry Me. What's up, Jerry? What up, Pat? Oh, not much, not much. Uh, enjoying uh, enjoying this fine Monday we had. How you doing? I am wonderful, though we didn't really get a weekend. So it was just, you know, nonstop legacy action. It was nonstop action on Saturday, and then Sunday we had the Super Bowl, so I enjoyed that with, uh, with the kids and whatnot. Actually, um, I use, so do you know what an air fryer is? Uh, uh, vaguely. So an air fryer, like there's, it's kind of a misnomer because it's not necessarily a fryer, but it's basically a small, like uh, tabletop convection oven. Uh, so they're like digital. You know, you plug them in. Has like a small cook base to it that you can pull out. And um, anyway, so it's like this little convection oven. So it uses um, a fan inside to circulate the air really quickly. And uh, so I used one to make chicken wings this year because I've never made chicken wings with the air fryer before. And they were fantastic, like really, really good. So I was very impressed with uh, with the air fryer chicken wings. If anyone wants to, you know, is, is on the fence, I highly recommend them for that. Are you accepting uh, like advertisement money under the table again, Pat? <laughs> Listen, all I can say is that my monitor got smashed during transit back from the open. So I'm looking to make any money I can to replace it right now. I didn't, I didn't really follow this segue, but okay. We went there. All right. Chicken yeah. wings. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you open the door. I'm just closing it. man. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I mean, but I, yeah. So, uh, so we had the open, we had 146 players, which is, uh, <laughs> our biggest open yet, which was really exciting to see. Yeah, man. It was a sick turnout. Uh, room was full. Uh, yeah, just good seeing everyone. Good turnout. Uh, lots of cool decks in the room. Everyone seemed like they had a good time. I mean, we, I feel like we've really hit our stride with the events, Pat. We, this was our sixth one. So kind of just felt natural. I think we had our also fastest setup in the morning than we've ever had. Oh my God. Yeah. So I was, uh, so the, the, just a quick tangent for people who weren't, who I haven't explained the story to. So generally when, uh, when we have the tournament, when it, when it's a 10 a.m. start, I get there for nine. As soon as the doors open, I get there for nine. I start setting everything up, you know, undoing lights, setting all, you know, just running all the cords and stuff. And uh, this time, because my wife was actually working in the morning, I had to bring Liam to basketball at eight and then uh, wait for my dad to get there and then kind of hung out with him for a few minutes and then took off. So I didn't get to the store until a little after 10 o'clock. Yeah, I thought we were um, going to have to skip streaming round one. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, when I was on my way up, I'm like, hey, Jerry, just so you know, like, you know, couldn't get there, couldn't leave when I wanted to. Well, we should have been set up for, for round two. He's like, and you were like, yeah, that's no problem. No big deal. So I got there at like 10.05 or 10.08 and uh, came in with all my stuff. And you had uh, you and Zach had already like kind of set up the feature match area, uh, taking out the lights over the feature match area because that creates a lot of glare. So we've, we've learned uh, from past events to remove those lights. So you guys had all that done. Between Zach setting up the, my computer and my monitors and stuff and you getting the cameras ready, like, we were up and ready to go well before round one started. It was amazing. I think we had, like, a sub-15 minute setup for the entire, it, like, it stream was, area, yeah, which it was, was like, pretty crazy. I would say definitely no more than 20 minutes. It was really awesome. I mean, that's, like, you know, that's getting cameras up 
and centered and focused properly and all that. I mean, that's there's a lot of work involved with that. And, and for it all to go smoothly without a hitch was pretty impressive. Until someone kicked the camera after like round five and then you went yeah. on like an OCD. Oh, yeah. That, was, that took me like that took me. How many trips in and out of that office do you think I made? To, to be fair, you had fixed it after the third time. And then I still told you it was off and you ended up making it worse just because I was having way too much fun watching you sprint the 40 feet back and forth from the feature match area to where the casting booth was because we did. So that's all that's all news to me. It's good to, good to know. Yeah, there's no monitor. There's no monitor by the feature uh, feature match area. So the only way right. to see how the camera looks is to run back to the booth to look at it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, it was it was too much fun. So uh, you you kind of adjusted it and then readjusted it and then adjusted it again. <laughs> yeah, we figured it out eventually. But I'm, I'm glad you had your fun with that, Jerry. Yeah, I mean, like, what what is there for like viewers uh, viewing enjoyment compared to right. like my childhood glee? Like, so if, he, <laughs> if people want to know why I was threatening Jerry's life towards the end of the tournament, that's probably it's a culmination of acts like that that, that turn me into that kind of person. Because <laughs> every time Jerry left the coverage booth, he left the door open every time coming in or out. They never shut it behind him. I didn't want to make a loud bang closing the right. door, <laughs> but it was way worse when people can hear us on the floor or we can hear the floor oh you anyway. can't be come on there was 150 people in that room they couldn't hear you across the room what you were saying I, in the booth i yelled get wrecked pretty hard during <laughs> tom smiley's match yeah, i'm pretty be, sure you can hear me the to be open. fair i'm pretty sure there were people at the feature match area also saying the same thing <laughs> <laughs> uh it was so anyway it was a great time um of course you know pre uh pre scoops want to shout out michelle and all the awesome people that gave me etc who had yeah. that, who, who basically ran that tournament, it made it go off without a hitch. Yeah, big shout um, out to Michelle. Um, yeah. Especially also because we were just shy of the 5K cap. Uh, we ended yep. up being, one person ended up coming late, so we ended up with 146 people, which was four people shy of the uh, the 5K prize payout, mm-hmm. and Michelle decided, uh, you know what, we're, we're just about there, uh, and, and bumped it up and made it a 5K anyways, which yep. was really yep. awesome of her. Super awesome. So it was a it was a great time. We had a blast. Uh it was a it was a lot of work, but it's always well worth it. And uh we ended up having eight rounds of Swiss, followed by top eight, and we were out of there just after what, ten o'clock? Yeah, yeah, like pretty, on the road. So pretty smooth. We we took yeah. a little bit of a break for the um raffle. Uh yep. we gave away a bunch of sick stuff. And even with that break and you know, people getting food and such, it's tournament ran really quickly. We did yeah. eight rounds of Swiss and then full play out of top eight and uh what is it just about 12 hours yeah yep so it was it was a great time and uh yeah so that's that's uh, i just wanted to touch on that real quick and uh and yeah so uh let's see here uh before we get into the uh full episode just want to shout out our newest patrons kelton beal and alexandro carranza thank you sir carranza i'm probably saying it incorrectly either way but thank you so much for joining the patreon um it uh again it helps us uh fund some endeavors like the uh LAL opens uh and also replacing my monitor that got smashed <laughs> at the uh, LAL open during, <laughs> yeah coming back from the open I I had put it in the back of my car and I was like so ready to get home I'm like it should be fine this way and I think something slid down and smashed it and I didn't know until I turned it on today I had no idea it was broken until I turned it on and I messaged Jerry and I said Jerry I, I broke my thing. And he's like, you did what? <laughs> like, I broke it. I broke it all. So, um, but yeah, so uh, just a small casualty uh, uh, for a great event. So that was, that was really awesome. Anyway, thank you very much uh, to our newest patrons, Kelton and Alexandro. Um, join the the discord, please. And um, yeah, and, and we really appreciate the support. And if you want to support the show and uh, the stuff that we do, you can visit patreon.com slash leaving a legacy. Yeah. 
Even a dollar helps getting bad a new monitor. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, it adds up. Uh, uh, Speaking, yeah, tournaments freaking add up, man. Just so many little costs everywhere. Oh my god, it's crazy. Yeah, we're I, we're going through that right now. Where we're like, oh, we have all these costs that we. <laughs> it's we completely... so in the hole, but it's okay. oh yeah, it oh was, yeah. We're like, all right, it. so this is gonna take a few months to dig us out of this. We'll uh, we'll 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 just we'll just put this all on our credit on our, our individual credit cards. and We'll just figure it out. Yeah, but I mean, it's worth it. The the computer yeah. the community is awesome, and we had a blast last uh but yeah it's uh it's good times and yeah you know we're already planning the next one yep absolutely all right well let's uh let's not leave our uh guest and um winner of lal open six waiting in the wings for too long jerry what was like yeah i mean the win was so long overdue we might as well not make the uh introduction (laughs) so overdue (laughs) true oh yeah um freya you were you top eighted what was this your third top eight of the open so far yeah, yeah, the, I was uh, third with Lands two times ago, I was second with Depths last time, and then I finally won with Lands this time. Oh, just look, tra- tracking that progression. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice, climbed your way, oh, yeah, that's right, because, yeah, you and Curtis had a great, um, not quite a mirror match, but the, the Depths match, the Depths mirror, rather, in um, in top, or sorry, in the finals last time around, which is really fun to watch. Yeah, it was really close, and I, I think I should be theoretically favored in that matchup, but I, uh, you know, drew a little less well than I should, and I think I played a little less well than I should, and uh, he was able to find an opening. So, Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's an excellent player, so it's like, there's obviously no shame there. It's not like you lost to someone like me. That's that At that point, you may as well just hang up the cards, you know, And uh, but uh, but no, you, you, you had a great run, and I definitely would love to talk about your tournament. For sure. Hell yeah. Uh, because also you pioneered a uh, a new variation of lands that uh, has people talking. I saw some comments on the deck on uh, Reddit earlier today, and also, I mean, we would be remiss if we didn't bring up the amazing pun that is the uh, the deck's name. <laughs> I worked I worked real hard on that. So I hard, was so hard. I had to ex- I had to explain the joke to people all day. Uh, there, um, I'm, there, there's like a 30 second clip of the uh, cast uh, out there where Pat explained the joke to me because it was like late <laughs> in the day and I, my brain was so dead and tired. <laughs> like I don't think I don't think we had eaten yet, so I was in like low blood pressure. God. <laughs> and, uh, and Pat explained the joke, and I just kind of snapped for a second. <laughs> and Pat looked at me like I was just like chewing chewing uh, thumbtacks <laughs> in the corner, just. <laughs> classic yeah <clears throat> so spheerless lands uh no fear yep. no no fear and also no spheres at the same time um, it's great can can you just just talk about sort of your uh your your choice for running a deck like this this weekend when like you know breach has, has been a uh, kind of an up-and-comer in the format we've seen um, a resurgence of well, there's a couple of reanimator decks, but we've seen just like some actual combo decks, and you know, like Brian's Cook is always good to show up with 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 TES at this tournament. So, uh, can you kind of explain why you were like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to go with my game plan and not worry so much about what other people are doing? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, truth be told, part of it is uh, legacy moves really fast these days, um, and honestly, too fast for me to keep up with sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to prepare for this about a month ago. And um, at that time, Four Color Miracles was pretty big. And uh, I made the decision to play lands when I got crushed pretty bad a couple of times by Four Color Miracles trying to play the old Depths deck that I had played last time. Um, 
And I'm just like, that wasn't really a good feeling. I, I think I can probably engineer a lands deck that can beat this. Um, so this originally started out as a deck to basically stomp all over uh, various fair blue players with weird mana bases and sort of grindy, you know, decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the format was very, very fair at that time. Um, and then... I felt pretty good about it. I was pleasantly surprised by a lot of the cards in my testing, um, and the combo matchup wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I, okay, I was fully, right. I was fully prepared to to concede all of the combo matchups basically, um, because at the end of the day, you know, sometimes it just makes sense to lean into the good matchups and sort of disregard the bad matchups. Um, and I think I think Storm and Tess are winnable if mm-hmm. you have spheres in your mm-hmm. deck, but. Um, even those sometimes people come prepared, obviously, and, and have their outs to that. And a fast enough hand can just ignore any of that. Um, so my, my thought process was basically just to focus on the matchups that I am more comfortable in, mm-hmm. uh, focus on the matchups that I can win, and then um, you know any, any sort of leftover advantage that I can get, I can apply to, to combo. So um, let me, oh, yeah, go ahead, sorry. No, it's all right. Um, so... The only other change I made was, again, I, I built this a while ago to, to play against um, uh, fair decks, and I leaned into to Field the Dead. Um, as you said, I have a lot of one-ofs, um, and the idea was really to diversify and have two Field the Dead in 75, which I know people have been doing recently to beat uh, stuff like Miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Sylvan Scryings were part of how I was able to be... Um, I don't know, more flexible, basically. The idea was, in the fair matchups, um, I can have an effective eight copies of Field of the Dead, and in the combo matchups, um, I have even more ways to combo on turn two and turn three. Um, so that was the idea, and it ended up working out pretty well. I was actually able to do a lot of turn twos and a lot of turn threes against combo decks and force their hands. Um, and sometimes that's just the best method, is just to kind of go hard in the paint and ignore all of the kind of weird, maybe kind of, sort of, interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the addition of Pyroblast, um, one of the things I was able to do also is either counter an early cantrip, um, or more likely what would happen is I would combo off, and they would have, like, an Echoing Truth or a Chain of Vapor, because they obviously saw the, the combo coming, um, and they thought, okay, I can buy myself another turn with this bounce spell, and then I counter their bounce spell with Pyroblast, and then I win the game. <laughs> Yeah, that, um, yeah, that, that, that's interesting. I can't say that I've ever played against a lands deck that had uh, <laughs> that was playing it numbers of instants that could counter my spells. Pyroblast is actually something that uh, Toru, I forget his last name, um, very famous sort of Japanese uh, lands player in the number of lands group, very outspoken about a number of different things. He was actually sort of the the progenitor of the Field of the Dead idea, okay, and people okay. people called him crazy, and I I was among them, unfortunately, and then. <laughs> He, he proved us all wrong, and, and he's been ahead of the curve with some stuff like that. So I can't take credit for being the first to do that, but um, it seemed like the right meta to bring back uh, both his love of Field of the Dead and also the addition of stuff like Power Blast and Choke. Okay, yeah. I definitely want to get more into Field of the Dead in a minute, but I just wanted to say, like, if you, know, if you count Infect as a combo deck, which I tend to do, I mean, eight of the top 16 decks, so a full 50% of the field, were, in fact, like, pretty fast combo decks, including, like, Eureka Tell, TES, um, and, like I said, the the Infect decks and even Red Black Reanimators, and the Breach deck as well, which came in 14th. So it seems like you had to slug your way through through a bunch of combo decks. Was that kind of how the tournament played out for you, or...? It was, yeah. I, 
I definitely did not have the um, ability to sort of just dodge around combo like I wanted to. The, the mm -hmm. game plan was definitely just to come in, um, you know, do well against some fair decks and like, you know, split prizes with Brian Cook in the top eight or something. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I knew there would be some number of people there with, with fair decks, obviously, but mm -hmm. um, for combo, I actually did play against, I played against High Tide. Um, I played against uh, like a, like a, Grixis Storm deck that was also mm -hmm. squeezing in the Breach combo. Mm -hmm. I played against Brian Cook himself in the Swiss. Um, and played against Elves. I played against... Um, that was it for Swiss. And I won all of those matches. I think I um, I dropped one to the, the Breach guy, and that was that was it. Mm -hmm. um, so I was actually crushing my combo matchups. I think I was running pretty hot, um, which does just happen. Um, there were, again, just a lot of turn twos. Um, I mulligan aggressively into combo, and again, Sylvan Scrying is is ended up being a pretty big game, um, and ended up me allowing me to take a lot of kind of weird angles and um, play pretty aggressively. So, very nice. Now, can we talk about Field of the Dead, that that innovation of the deck, and sort of how's how that's played out for you? I, I was joking in the pre-show, like, oh, you know, when I was typing, I, I had to type up all the top sixteen deck lists by hand to put them into into the the tournament result here. And, um, of course, like I go from 16 to one and by the time I get to, you know, the first place deck, I'm really hoping it's just like something like show and tell that's all four ofs. And of course, you know, knowing the, how the tournament went, it's, it's your deck and there's just so many one ofs and it's all, it's basically all in the land package. Um, can you just talk about sort of, uh, field of the dead, how it played out for you this, this weekend and kind of forcing your mana base to be a little bit more, um, you know, just for not forcing, but encouraging your mana base to be a little bit more diverse. Yeah, because I just want to add to that. I think we had you on camera a few times, and I don't think Field of the Dead uh, was your win condition on camera ever. I might not have seen all the games, though. It was my uh, sort of unstated win condition against um, against Death in Texas. Oh, okay, um, yeah, that was that was about it, though. To be to be totally honest, um, he like. Wastelanded one of the fields, and then the second field came down, I think, and he was just saw the writing on the wall and was like, no, I'm good. I can't really pull back in from this. Because um, he knew he, he was holding out to see if I had a win condition. And once he saw the field and I had enough lands, I think I made, like, one zombie, and he was just like, no, I'm, I'm good. Um, but actually, uh, yeah, field was, was a powerful part of this deck and a part of the deck I wanted to have, and it did pull its weight in my fair matchups. But again... I did play against a lot of combo, so it actually came out a lot um, and wasn't really the MB MVP of this tournament. Um, uh, but again, it's it's rather low opportunity cost to you know make a couple of tweaks here and there and have two copies of a card in the 75 that dramatically increase the fair, uh, fair game plan, basically. Um, like the Oko decks, uh, once you have made four or five zombies... Um, either like immediately start flipping terminuses or, or lose the game and either way you end up rebuilding. Um, and the wild thing about field is once you get it going, you can also just copy it with thespian stage. Um, so against Maverick, for example, um, they had wastelanded and exiled my tabernacle. And so instead of trying to prison them out of the game, I ended up just like standard classic field of the dead them. And I uh, made three copies of Field of the Dead and made nine zombies and uh, after attacking them for ten they were like, no, you know what, I'm I'm good. And again, <laughs> I got the I got the concession. Um, 
So Field did a lot of work against the two Oko decks that I played against and the Maverick deck that I played against, um, and is also a huge role player in a, de in a de game like uh, Death and Taxes as well. Um, but obviously, again, for the combo matchups, I can I can sideboard them out with no problem. Yeah, because, I mean, we're skipping ahead here a bit, but you had a very dramatic final game. I think the yeah. the final against uh, Matt Orfanello, um mm -hmm. Playing uh, Eureka Tell, I think, is one of the best matches we've had on camera at any of the Leaving a Legacy events. Like, that was a very exciting it game was, to watch. It was so, so tight. Like, that that final game, especially game three, was just so, so, so close. Uh, it, was, it was very exciting to watch. Do, do you find it kind of ironic that you uh, pilot the Sphereless Lands? Basically, it, uh, your game plan is to just dodge combo decks, and you find yourself playing for uh, first place against a combo deck? It, it was pretty funny. The The interesting uh, thing was my that 75 is actually better against Eureka Tell than my sort of more traditional six sphere build. Right. Um, sphere resistance is good against uh, the show and tell decks, but it's by no means like as backbreaking as it is against like storm. Right. And conversely, the pyroblast that I had in my sideboard, which inherently in the build originally were for destroying Okos and countering Okos and stuff, um, were obviously a big game. I, I did counter a really early show and tell, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I had chokes, things like that. So my sideboard that was prepared for a bunch of fair blue decks um, actually did a lot of work against against him as a as an Omnitel player more than my s traditional sphere board would have. Right, and you know that's the thing. So I remember that being a big play against Matt, where Matt basically opened his uh, opening hand, and he went in the tank for a bit. Yeah, and the reason being was because uh, I believe you only had a Mox Diamond up. Or I th maybe he. Uh, this might have been turn two where he um, played a land, you wastelanded it, and just left a Mox Diamond up in past turn. And he sat there in the tank for a bit because he had Ancient Tomb, Lotus Petal, Show and Tell, uh, either Emrakul or Grizzlebrand. And he sat for in there for the tank, thinking, you know, what could you have that would ruin his day there? And he ended decide he you know weighed his options, decided to go for it, and then you pyroblasted it. Yeah, no, that was that was obviously a pretty dramatic turning point, um, and I definitely think he's correct to just jam there. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I like in his shoes, I would definitely like like we didn't come here packing show and tells not to jam, right. him, especially against lands, which is not a deck you expect counter magic out of. No, and like it's a you know obviously we play with open deck lists in the top eight, so he knew I had pyroblast, but he also knew they were just a two of. Mm -hmm. um, so I was definitely trying to represent pyroblast, but. Um, you know, uh, there's no reason to fall for a bluff if it ends up being a bluff. Um, but unfortunately it did set him significantly behind because I could continue to pressure his mana base from there. Right. You know, getting that, uh, committing with that ancient tomb then exposes him to get wastelanded again, which against the wasteland decks, you usually want to be relying on your basics early on with the deck. Right. And that was the other thing that, that Matt and I discussed briefly. Um, you know, the blue, red show and tell sneak attack. Uh, deck used to play quite a bit of basics, and this uh, blue-green show-and-tell deck that he was playing, the Omnitel, or the Eurekatel deck, um, only actually had two basics in it. Um, he said mm -hmm. it just ended up being a little bit... The man is a little bit weird, especially when you're trying to make Veil of Summer work, and you're trying to cast a double green spell. Um, 
So also the uh, he was running Mystic Sanctuary as well, I believe, which also clogs clogs up the mana base. I still I still really like his deck though. I still think it, I still think Eureka Tell is probably the best show and tell deck in the meta right now. But you, basically because of Vale of Summer more than anything else. Oh, absolutely, and and definitely the the you know conclusion of my uh, thought process there was not that the deck was uh, you know incorrectly built. Obviously, Matt got to got to the finals, and I think he played really well. Um, yeah. It just meant in this particular matchup, in this particular instance, uh, I was able to exploit that and keep him stuck on mana for longer than I probably would have been against a deck with you know four or five basics in it. Um, right. Yeah, and that's something we discussed in the booth. Um, I forget if it was game two or game three, but at one point, you actually you were pretty low on lands yourself, and you decided to crop rot for a wasteland to waste Matt off of his uh off of his volcano uh, his tropical island right. and um f- from our perspective in the booth it was uh, just such a great play because Matt was about to go off the next turn if you hadn't a wastelanded him there he probably would have won the game right yeah as a as a lands player you know I am forced to often play very proactively and very aggressively um and I have this mindset of you know, sort of assuming your opponent always has it. Um, and that is definitely what encouraged me to do something like that, where I am trying to proactively limit the ways that I can randomly lose the game, basically. Um, <laughs> and if I can take an action uh, to do that, I will. And part of the benefit of, of the way lands is constructed is you can go hard in the paint, trade lands one for one. Um, you can do the thing that Delver should never do, which is like Wasteland on turn one with no other play. Um, because of the fact that you play more lands in your deck and you have the ability to recur them and you have the ability to play multiple per turn. So I can do that pretty safely and not feel like, you know, I'm as likely to uh, get stuck behind the eight ball on that one. Right, for sure. Because, I mean, from an outside perspective, it it, it looks very suboptimal because you're trading so many resources there. You know, Crop Rot for a Wastelands card disadvantage. Um so you're throwing you're throwing a card away to turn you know bin one land like you didn't you didn't have any obvious way of recurring it at the moment like you didn't have loam going or anything like that right yeah again you have to kind of make those make those plays in the faith that you will uh you know just draw the right stuff and, and, and... definitely um speaking of playing multiple lands a turn uh you had a uh, pretty entertaining game uh, earlier on in uh, Swiss, we had on camera where uh, I believe you you turned one with the mana bond, just dim- dumped your hands. I did, yeah, um, yeah. Poor Paul. I, um, uh, that is that is the second time in my five year history of playing this deck uh, that I have turned one someone. Um, uh, it's it's surprisingly hard to do. The other time that I did it was actually against Reed Duke in like a star city open. Um, and he was, he was, he was pretty upset about it. <laughs> yeah. I would also get upset about being comboed by the lands player. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so, so those kind of things don't happen a lot, but um, you know, this is why you play mana bond. And this is again, part of my decision-making for this deck was um, with Field of Dead and Field of Dead in mind, I played thirty six lands instead of thirty five. The range is usually between thirty six and thirty four, uh, so I chose to play high on lands. I chose to play high on diversity of lands, and I also chose to play Mana Bond because, again, accelerating, you know, dumping a bunch of lands at once is a good way to also trigger Field of the Dead. So if I'm loaming and draw a field in the middle of the game and draw Mana Bond, 
um, I can make several zombies all at once and try, start pressuring my opponent kind of out of nowhere. Was also was mana ban- was bon- mana bond banned at some point? I feel like it was in Legacy's history, but maybe I'm misremembering. You're probably just thinking of fast bond because fast bond uh, is totally broken. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, fast bond yeah, is. Yeah. Fast Bond is a really broken vintage one that lets you play a bunch by paying life. True, it is also um, a one mana green spell that uh, does broken stuff with, with uh, mana. But uh, yes, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Mana Bond can just have some like absolutely ridiculous plays with it. Yeah, it's definitely a card that you know when it's good, it's good, and when it's bad, it's really bad. Right, um, right. So that's why it's usually a, a one of because drawing two of that card is abysmal because the second one literally doesn't do anything. Um, and the way Mana Bond works is, you know, the less spells you have to discard, the better it is. So you want to maximize your non-spell cards. Um, and for that reason, it doesn't usually make it in as a one-of, or it doesn't usually make it in as more than one-of. And it is often one of the first things to get cut post-board or cut when you're trying to find room for other cards. Yeah, for sure. But it is, it is backbreaking. So over the course of the Swiss, um, did you feel your plan worked out for the most part, though? Like, how many combo decks did you see over the course of the day? Yeah, so, um, again, counting Elves, which is obviously a a pretty good matchup that wasn't largely affected by my sideboard plan, um, I played against four different combo decks. um, And one of my rounds, obviously, I did with Matt, uh, which would have been a combo matchup. Um, So... A significant portion of my rounds were actually against combo, and obviously in top eight I play against both Infect and Omnitel. Um, so, you know, I I still think this deck was powerful. I think I was correct to try to lean into what the deck does well, and I think in general that's a, a strong deck building choice. Um, and I think I got a little bit lucky with combo, but I also think I underestimated just how much work, um, you know, just keeping aggressive combo hands and and you know. Uh, adding Sylvan Scrying would do for the deck. Um, I made some interesting plays. I actually, um, in one of the... So obviously, against High Tide, I had Power Blasts and Chokes, and I drew so many sideboard cards against him game two, which is really good. Um, but against the the Storm Breach person, um, I, game three, uh, went all in on a Tireless Tracker. Again, that card was the MVP of the day. Um... I kept a six-card hand that was Mox Diamond, Mox Diamond, Land, 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 Tireless Tracker. Um, so the end result is that is I'm top-decking, and I have cast a turn one Tireless Tracker. Um, so I just was like, here's a tracker, here's a bunch of mana, you're up. And I was in the play, and my opponent was forced to you know, play sort of defensively and try to find outs. And meanwhile, I drew, drew, drew a bunch of cards and beat him to death to the point where uh, he was at one life, I needed to draw a land to kill him, couldn't draw the land, um, so I just put him at one, and then he couldn't win because he couldn't crack a fetch land. Um, so a lot of Razor's Edge combo matchups, obviously, because that's kind of the nature of how this deck works against combo. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, I was pleasantly surprised, uh, despite the fact that mathematically my decision to lean into fair didn't actually pan out the way I wanted it to. Yeah, and I mean, looking at the meta breakdown uh, for the room, you, you were pretty much on the mark with your uh, your predictions. Uh, we have the decks uh, associated with the tournament, so thanks for putting this together, by the way, Pat. Oh, no problem. Um, so 
Number one most represented deck in the room was Blue Red Delver with uh, 12 copies in the room, which is uh, a little bit under 10%. It's, uh, oh, it's 8% of the room was on Blue Red Delver. Yep. There were, um, let me just pull up my numbers here. There were 30 different decks of Delver flavors, I believe. Let me just see. Yeah, 30 different Delver decks, 30 different decks of Delver flavors. Uh, 11, again, Miracles decks, because we kind of see, like, Bant and Jeskai, and then just straight-up blue-white. And then 27, like, what I would call real combo decks. I don't even think I included um, uh, Infect in those in those numbers. So those are kind of, like, the rough, like, the, the big pieces of the pie as far as, like, uh, strategies go. Nice. Um, yeah, so biggest, most represented decks in the room. Blue-Red Delver in first with 12 decks. Uh, Death and Taxes had nine copies. Grixis Delver had seven copies. Bug Delver had seven copies. So, yeah, top four decks in the room are Delver decks, which yeah, uh, I'm sure you probably liked playing against, uh, Freya. Yeah, I, I was disappointed to not play against more of them, to be to be totally honest. I didn't play against any Delver the whole day, but um, clearly, like I said, it was there. Um, and um, like I said, the only change... I, I, I'm having deja vu. I don't know if I said this already, but... The only change that I made from the like ultra grindy gotta beat the four color uh, builds was um, I had I used to have two Field of Dead main deck and one Dark Depth sideboard, and I flopped those like two days before the event. Um, once I saw the you know the up and coming nature of Underworld Breach, um, in anticipation of a more combo decks, but also b more people coming with Delver trying to play against those combo decks. So I think we saw the latter happen. Um, it seemed like Underworld Breach was a bit repre- underrepresented because people didn't really know how to play it or couldn't get the cards together yet. And I think we'll definitely see more of that deck. Um, but uh, lots of people did come out with with Delver in the hopes of playing against combo and, and, and trying to shut them down, basically. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of Breach, that I just want to bring up a good point that, yeah, like you said, people don't really know how to play the deck yet. Um, really people have only been able to get their reps with it on Magic Online for the most part. There haven't been uh, many, uh, if any, big legacy tournaments since Breach was pioneered on Magic Online. And Magic Online definitely has some training wheels uh, that come with the deck where it you know remembers a lot of things for you. And the deck is very mechanically difficult to play. Like on with Rich had a judge call, I think, round one. Um, where he was playing and he started breach combo and he had, he called over the judge and he's like, judge, I forget which cards I exiled with breach. <laughs> and, oh, like geez. rich is uh, one of the best players. I know he's probably one of the best players in, in new England. And, you know, he was having difficulty with this deck. So it's not, it's not an easy deck to pilot both from like a strategy vant- uh, viewpoint and also just a mechanical viewpoint. Yeah, absolutely. My, my friend Mike and I, um, we're doing a bunch of playtesting up, up to the event and played the breach deck several times against each other. And um, we eventually, you know, we figured out uh, how to goldfish it uh, mostly. Um, but once you start adding in playing around cards and, and everything else, it definitely, the, the difficulty obviously ramps up quite a bit. Um, and the way the deck plays around hate is really interesting because a lot of the cards you would traditionally think are good against a deck like that don't do as much as you'd like. Yep. Uh, um, Storm is not very good. Sphere of Resistance is pretty bad. Um, Surgical Extraction is... You have to time really well, and if you, it's hard to time correct, correctly. Um, and that's, you know, 
for, for anyone who, who's been looking and seeing a lot of Leyline of the Void, that's definitely part of it, is it's much, much harder for them to play against a, um, like a proactive sit-on-the-board kind of card like Leyline of the Void than um, some sort of a counterspell. Yeah, my experience with Surgical from playing the Breach deck is uh, Surgical, the Lion's Eye Diamonds. That's kind of the, the linchpin in my experience. Yeah. experience. yeah, absolutely. No, it's just if... if, if uh, it's if very it's tempting. Sequence, yeah, I know what you're saying. It's very tempting to fire it off early. No, but also if they if they sequence in a certain way uh, to have priority and have a moment to immediately recast Lion's Eye Diamond, right? Um, right. It can be really awkward. That too. Um, so yeah, it's it's just a it's just sort of a weird card timing wise, um, and that's that's again the play patterns people people are going to have to learn, and I'm I'm having to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Actually, think I have a reasonable plan with regarding Bajukabog for that deck. Um, it's not again; it's not amazing. Bajukabog doesn't solve all the problems, but if they start to go off um, and they like brain freeze themselves for a bunch of cards, usually brain freeze is kind of a uh, you know this has to get me there kind of card for them. Um, and they brain freeze, and if I wait until the very last storm copy of brain freeze. And then with that on the stack, Bajukabog them. As long as they don't have um, like a Pact of Negation or a Force that they can cast from their graveyard, um, they will end up with very few resources at that point. Um, lose the Lines of Diamond they use to combo off. Sometimes they'll lose a Thassa's Oracle along the way. Um, and oftentimes have to try to rebuild from, from scratch at that point. Um, again, certain things have to go right. Bajukabog is not a perfect answer. Um, but it seems like you know, if you're going to use Bajukabog, that's one of the good timings to use it. Yep, for sure. Um, speaking of Graveyard Hate, uh, continue with the list. The next most represented uh, deck in the room was Black Red Reanimator with seven copies. And I got to tell you, I feel bad for these players. When I was walking around earlier, uh, I saw so many Leyline of the Voids in the room that day. Um, I think people were definitely prepared for the breach deck uh, and also just graveyard decks in general, I think have been uh, doing well in legacy. So people definitely remembered their graveyard hate for this tournament. Um, I, I'm not surprised they, they didn't have a uh, very high convert ratio because there was a lot of graveyard hate in the room that day. Yeah. And I've, I've also seen that, um, you know, from a, from a perspective of a lands player, I've noticed that a lot more people are on Rest in Peace and Leyline of the Void than they are on Surgical these days. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, um, against, you know, Accumulated Knowledge and Tarmogoyf and Black Red Reanimator, um, there's a lot of times where just, again, putting in something that sits on the board and takes care of all of it and takes a, the sort of weird, you know, uh, stack interactions out of the, out of the equation um, goes a long way in this format. And... The swap of rest in peace or or ley line for surgical is is definitely a big deal for lands. Um, so having less of of surgical running around is is always always good for me. Um, not losing all four copies of any given card in my deck is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's funny because we were actually talking in uh, during the uh, show uh, with Zach actually in particular about how the s- surgical stock as a sideboard card has gone down and even card, even cards like fairy macabre, like targeted graveyard removal is not nearly as strong as it was before where you kind of want something more like rest in peace or ley line of the void. So that's interesting that like, uh, something that's, uh, has to do with the, the meta as a whole is benefiting, uh, lands in particular. It's pretty neat. Yeah. And I think, I think, um, part of it has to do with sort of the nature of, of combo decks and, um, 
how they're winning. So if you know if Blackbird Reanimator makes a big comeback, uh, you'll probably start to see a lot more surgical mm -hmm. because again that that sort of turn zero that free interaction is a big deal, um, and um, likewise if people start to be wise to lands again, they'll 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 pack some surgicals. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely nice for me for now. Sweet. Uh, pulling it back up, uh, we got Miracle, sixth most, most represented deck in the room with six yeah, copies. That was the four-color version. There was also, like, the Bant version um, and uh, Jeskai version, and then I believe there was also um, a one copy that was just blue-white Miracles that was also put in as uvu miracles but i couldn't i didn't have the stomach to put that on the actual list so <laughs> i just i just put it in with with blue white miracles but how dare you uh yeah but there were a few flavors i think there was uh 11 miracles decks overall let me just yeah 11 miracles decks overall so oh so in that case miracles would be bumped back up to the second most represented deck yeah that's the thing is like this this metagame breakdown is like you know but again yeah remember like blue red delver <clears throat> Uh, is, you know, 12 decks, but there's, you know, seven Grixis, seven Bug, and that's just in the top four. There was also Rug Delver that came in with three copies. Um, there was, let's see, there's another, I think there's one more. Uh, anyway, there, there were just, uh, you know, different flavors of these Delver decks, but the way I broke it down in the on my on my sheet is I just kind of took the, the most specific deck uh, identity for each one and then put it down there but someone could go through and kind of reclassify these as like all right well these are all delver decks these are combo decks these are like fair creature decks these are you know whatever these you know um these are graveyard decks you could probably re reclassify it as that but yeah the line the lines between the decks in this meta are very blurred which is kind of <laughs> it's kind of what happens every time there's uh just really easy mana fixing like same thing happened in the death right shaman days Mm -hmm. uh, where the lines between decks got really blurred, and I feel Astrolabe's kind of doing the having the same effect on this meta. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it can. I, I will also th say that I uh, a phenomenon that that some friends of I had, have noticed is because of the um, how much Magic Online uh, people people play with with Legacy and and how little paper events you get. Um, the metagame online moves like lightning, lightning fast, mm -hmm. um, and because of that there is a lot of iterations and there's a lot of innovation. And I think people are, you know, doing a lot of weird creative stuff all the time. So like, um, breach obviously originated online. Um, I know there was not only like black green and green white depths, there was like a bant depths at the, at the event. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, that, that as far as I know, wasn't running astrolabe, but I could be wrong. Um, and you know, some of these decks are, are just, um, kind of branching out color-wise to see what else they can get, especially with cards like Veil of Summer and Oko that encourage people to uh, incorporate green, which is a, an unincorporated, a, a often overlooked color in, in Legacy. Yeah, and it's good. Like, seeing innovation in the format is awesome. Like, I would much rather see, like, a bunch of crazy decks all trying out different stuff than just the same stock list over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so after Miracles... Infect five copies of Infect in the room, um, which I'm kind of surprised that there were that many. I feel like we haven't seen much Infect lately. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna say. I know people were thinking that it might become like the new deck du jour with Veil of Summer, and that just hasn't really played out. It's certainly gotten some new tools. I know Kevin, who I played against in the um, first round of the top eight, Kevin's a good friend. Um, actually, had 
I think he had some Veil Summers in the sideboard, but he also had some main deck Okos. Because um, again, that, that deck you know, plays Noble Hierarchs, it plays Green Sunsina sometimes, it can ramp up a little bit and play that card early, and um, you know, when people are prepared for your combo game, it's nice to have something like that to fall back on. Um, so I think people were excited about some of the new tools they have, but I think, um, I, I personally think it still probably falls a little bit short of what you need in this format to succeed. Um, and I'm, I'm not so sure that it's going to be like done the new hotness or anything like that. Yeah. Speaking of the new hotness, uh, in eighth most represented deck in the room, new kid on the block breach combo. Uh, which did not convert anyone to top eight. It did get one copy in top 16, though. Right. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on this new deck, Freya? It's, it's really good. Um, I am definitely impressed with how much it can play around hate. Um, it's definitely very, um, you know, like you said, it's a little bit mechanically hard to solve, and it's a little bit weird to play around hate, but um, the particular ways that it plays are pretty safe um and so you can you can navigate around certain things you have room to play cards like silence and orem's chant um people are and people can can sort of put in whatever cards they want in the shell people are talking about like a jeskai version they're talking about like a blue red version they're talking about like a rogue version with veil of summer um there's a lot of ways to build it because at the end of the day it's basically like a three card combo deck so it sort of plays out like a weird sort of show and tell deck um but, uh, you know, no shame to you, Jerry, but I think it ends up being a little bit more resilient than something like Show and Tell because it sort of moves in these unpredictable ways that we haven't had to interact with as much. Yeah, but I would also say one of the biggest strengths of Breach deck right now is that people don't have reps against it, and so it has this yeah. unknown. I think I actually think the Breach deck is more... Like, it's very, like, once you know how to stop Breach, I feel it is much easier to work out a game plan to actually stop it. Like, it, it feels a little bit like a, a one-trick pony uh, to me in kind of the same way that, like, Oops All Spells does. I I disagree pretty sincerely. I um, It does play out linear, linearly. It does have a very specific game plan. Um, it is soft, soft to multiple types of hate. Uh, but there are very few and far between sort of cards or things that you can do that it can't at the end of the day, um, you know, find answers to, uh, it, like the Jeskai list that I've seen are playing main deck answers to things like rest in peace, just in case, uh, they're playing answers to, um, you know, stuff like Thalia or whatever else. And, and these sort of creatures that do that. Um, and besides, uh, like I said, things like rest in peace, things like ley line, things like, um, Collector Oof for Graft Digger's Cage. If it doesn't say your opponent can't do this, uh, they can find a way around it. And even if you do, again, the deck is packing counterspells, the deck is packing silences, and we saw people go off as early as turn one uh, this weekend. So uh, it's definitely really scary, and I definitely think it's a thing to respect. We obviously don't know exactly how good it is yet, because like you said, there's both fumbling on the side of the players who are playing it and fumbling on the side of the people who are playing against it. Um, but I think with, with more testing, um, people will see that it is resilient. Um, I don't know if it's going to be the best deck or anything, but I think it is something people have to be cognizant of and, and not sleep on too hard and assume that they can just throw a couple rest in peace in their sideboard and be okay. Yeah, for sure. I will say that I, I think this really beats up on people who take the more like 
passive game plan approach of disrupting their opponent where, oh, I'm just going to get this like one hate piece out and then I'm going to play my game like I normally want to play. And this hate piece will will, you know, keep me alive long enough to do that. Like, I I think you actively have to attack just just guy breach in order to actually beat it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And something like part of the cool thing about something like Collector Oof is not only can they not crack lines of damage, you can also attack for two with it, which, you know. Uh, can can go go the distance while you continue to assemble more more hate pieces. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that's definitely up there on the list of, of interactive pieces for it. Yeah, I mean it's definitely a cool deck. I love it when convoluted combo decks, uh, you know, make it big. Uh, you know, kind of reminds me of Tin Fins in that regard of just you know here's a bunch of cards that used to be good ten years <laughs> ago, and I'm gonna take them out for one last hurrah. Like if you told me in 2020 the hot new deck would be featuring Orem's Chance and Brain Freezes. I would have called you crazy. (laughs) Uh, But here we are. This is the world we live in. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Thanks, Pat. Sorry, I wasn't sure if you had another thought you are going to put in there or not. (laughs) Nope. Just my disappointment (laughs) welling up. (laughs) Uh... Up next, we have uh, Maverick with four copies. I didn't really see too much Maverick in the room. Like I know Jordan was on at least one, was piling at least one Maverick deck. Yep. Yeah, yep. Jordan's always there to account for that mm-hmm. statistic. Luckily, he's a good, he's he's good people. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's a very. And I, again, I I played against one of the um, Maverick players. He was actually friends with the high tide player and watched me beat the high tide player, and then I beat him. <laughs> and I was like, I'm coming for your friends next. Um, <laughs> I didn't end up getting to. I didn't get up beating up the whole five car load, but I, you know, <laughs> one, can, one, one can dream. Just, yeah, take out an entire car. That is the dream. <laughs> um, tenth most represented Rug Delver. Still seeing the devotees of Rug Delver. They, they'll never die. You know, Rug Delver is always good for a deck or two. Yeah, my buddy Mike has been trying to kind of figure out how to make it work since the Red and Six ban. Um, you know, he's a piece price in the deck and he's sort of a new legacy player and, um, We've been trying to iterate and figure out how to make it work. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the best positioned right now, and obviously of the Delver decks, but there, there's probably a way to make it work out there. Yeah. Uh, three copies of Miracles Bant, which, can I just say, can we, I, like, I think Veil of Summer is starting to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Veil of Summer is the reason why we're seeing, like, Eureka Tell, the reason why we're seeing Bant, Mir- Bant Miracles, Probably the only reason why we're seeing, you know, well, that's so many copies. Of even like Rug Delver being around, it, it's well, that, you know, that's so yeah. I want to. So I mean, up next is uh, Eureka Tell, which uh, best uh, best conversion rate in the uh, tournament. In- incorrect. What do you mean? Second best. It had th- it had three copies and two of them top aided. Yeah, and there was only one lands deck, and that. One hundred percent. Why you got to take this from me? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I I did this. I did this two leaving legacies ago too. When I played lands last time, or two times ago, I was also the only lands player at that ha, point. Has lands like fallen off as a as a like a competitive deck in Legacy? Because I have yeah, when I, I first a... started playing Legacy, I remember there being a lot more lands pilots around. Uh, you knew notably one of the pilots I used to play against a lot, but it seems like it's just not in favor as much anymore. No, it, it's it's lost a lot of steam. Um, again, the Ren and Six Arrow is really bad for the deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was basically almost ready to give up on the deck, and um, obviously the Ren and Six Band changed that. But uh, there are 
a lot of tools that people have uh, to deal with it. Um, you have to get kind of creative to beat it. Uh, cards like Field of Dead wouldn't have seen play in the deck if we had a more reasonable plan against the fair decks. Mm -hmm. We used to be able to basically outgrind anyone, but that's just not true anymore. Cards like uh, Oko and Jason, um, you know, these proactive planeswalkers make it so that we can't just sit there forever and, and play lands and grind. Right. Um, so that's part of it. And then, as I've as I've said in in the group before, I um, I think there is a sort of expiration date to this archetype. Um, People, uh, wizards will continue to print powerful creatures and powerful planeswalkers um, as part of the sort of power creep and as part of the, uh, you know, lessons of old learned. Uh, they don't want to print more ancestral recalls or time walks or moxin or anything like that. So, uh, and they're also not going to print more cards like, like Tabernacle. Um, but they are certainly, you know, probably going to print another card like Oko. Um, probably going to print some more powerful creatures again. Um, and the fact that we are playing a deck that basically by design cannot play uh, any main deck creatures or planeswalkers uh, significantly limits our design space. Uh, and the longer this game goes on and the more our card pool grows, uh, the more we are sort of playing at a disadvantage. Uh, whereas a, a deck even just like Depths or like Four Color Loam, which are like the close cousins of lands, are able to adapt, able to use those creatures, and able to better... Uh, profit off of new cards um, than we were able to, unfortunately. So I, th I think that's a big part of it, and I think people, whether they consciously realize it or not, might be seeing that trajectory. Um, there's certainly still ways to make it work, but a lot of people have thrown the, the sort of guidebook of how to play lands out the window. Mm -hmm. um, I've actually seen more green-blue lands these days than I see green-red lands. Um, there's like these wild lists out there with main deck Okos and uh, main deck Primeval Titan, um, and are really just trying to play this sort of, you know, over-the-top, um, I don't know, kind of beat-down attrition game uh, with limited sort of interaction. You know, they're still playing Wasteland and Expiration and Loam and all the core, but instead of playing something like Punishing Fire, they're really just, like, slamming threats and trying to kill people. Um, and again, once you add Planeswalkers, once you add creatures, you really kind of become something altogether that's not really lands anymore. Um, because the way the deck is built is built to abuse the fact that it's creatureless, basically. Um, and so once you change that sort of policy, um, you start to become almost something else altogether. So I'm not saying that, you know, a new deck can't evolve out of lands, um, but I think long-term something like lands has a, has a limited um, playability and a limited sort of time frame. Kind of reminds me a bit of uh, how Enchantress evolved over time. Where, you know, enchanters very much got left behind by the meta. Yeah, they get some good enchantments now and again, but definitely I think it's another card type where, you know, stuff like Enchantress's Presence, stuff like Wild Growth and Utopia Sprawl, you know, they don't really do that anymore, and they're not going to really do that anymore. And um, unfortunately, when, you're, when your most powerful cards are your oldest cards, and that continues to be the case, uh, it's going to be hard for you to kind of catch up and, and stay current. Yeah, exactly. Um, so going down, uh, yes. So I also wanted to talk, actually, Pat, were there actually five copies of, cause you also have blue green Omni on this list with two copies. Yeah. So there was a, a few different, well, that, that might be, mm, I'd have to double check. Honestly, like I was looking over 145 different deck lists and, uh, trying to do it all in one shot basically. So I might've, uh, doubled up on some of the, like the names. So I'd have to go back and double check, but. 
um, in the interest of trying to get this stuff out as quick as possible, I, I may have made a few errors. But I think Blue Green Omni may have been without um, Eureka Tell. It might have been blue. It might have been an Omni show with just um, Veil of Summer. Veil of Summer. Yep. I believe that's what it was. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, but again, I still have all deck lists. I could double check them, but I think that's what was the case. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I definitely think the blue green version of Show and Tell is the best Show and Tell deck um, in the meta right now, and it it 100 is because of Veil of Summer. I think that was kind of a reinforced point throughout the day was just seeing how powerful Veil of Summer was. Yeah. Um, what's kind of your experience with it, uh, Freya? So. Veil of Summer is, is pretty nuts and definitely has had like a, a format warping uh, effect on the on, on Legacy, but um, people have also started to, much like uh, cards like Surgical, where they get kind of overboarded and overrepresented sometimes, I think people are starting to see the correct applications of Veil of Summer. Um, the card is definitely at its best in a deck like, um, like, like Blue-Green Amitel, where you are not only protecting yourself from opposing counterspells and opposing discard, you're also actively trying to force through some sort of game-winning play. Um, I also really enjoy the card in uh, Green-Black Depths, for example, uh, when you go to either combo out and someone storm try to storm you off, you're ready, but also if you're um, trying to cast that, that key crop rotation and you have an extra green open, you can Veil of Summer to stop their counterspell, which is a big deal. Um, or you know they're they're submerged for your for your twenty twenty. I did plenty of that last event and um, definitely saw the um, the strength of that card. Um, but I I think people overestimate its value in certain decks like Miracles and and Delver and things like that. Um, it's really good and if you want to be prepared for uh, discard decks and storm decks and stuff like that, you can have it. But if you are not trying to actively protect something that is going to explicitly win you the game. Um, it can end up uh, being a little underwhelming or sit around in your hand a little bit longer than you'd like. Um, and also, I think as people have adjusted their decks to account for Veil of Summer, it has lost a little bit of its stock as well. Um, you know, if people are willing to cast cards like Thoughtseize and Hunator Arc, this card will be great. And if people have stopped, which I think largely they have, um, it's going to be harder to, you know, continue seeing that card be playable as a four of in so many decks. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it's really interesting how it, the spells that it's pushed out. Like, Flusterstorm doesn't feel nearly as good anymore. Obviously, Discard just feels real bad right now. Um, I think that's why we're also seeing Blue-Red Delver really make up the uh, bulk of the Delver decks instead of uh, Grixis Delver, which had been dominant for a long time. I, I think it's just my effect on the tournament. I think they just... Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Okay. Yes. Under Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely definitely an interesting card, and it's it's bringing Eureka's back. You know, not, not often do you see another uh, Legends card <laughs> get forced into play. Uh, you know, just another uh, another expense I got to add to my uh, my deck list for uh, the twenty uh, k pat. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah, I'm gonna have to find some Eurekas. If anyone needs any two chains, I got some two chains. If anyone's looking to trade some two chains for Eureka, oh yeah, I also need some Japanese brazen borrowers. So someone help me up, help me out with that. <laughs> Is this a trading podcast now? I yeah, no we're idea. a trading pro- podcast. Uh, but all right, I need one. I need one copy of Field of the Dead. Still, I'm borrowing Sean. Oh, you need a Field of the Dead. All right, let's get let's get yeah. Frey a Field of the Dead. 
<laughs> Sick. Oh boy. Um. So where were we on this? So we covered the Eureka Tell. Um. Then elves with three copies in the room. Uh, Eldrazi aggro three copies in the room, which I feel we also haven't seen much of that. Uh, three copies of Ant, and then uh, two copies of Blue Green Omni, which is separate. So th- those are kind of like the sixteen most represented decks in the room. Uh, pretty good, uh, you know, variety of decks though overall. Yeah, it was a very diverse meta game, and the, the the top sixteen was actually also pretty pretty cool as far as the decks go. Yeah, was Eureka Tell the only double up? Uh, yeah, so we had... No, there was actually two uh, Infect decks in the top 16 yeah, as well. Yeah, two Infect and two, and de- two Grixis. So, yeah, so we, uh, let, me go, let me go through the top 16 real quick, uh, just to give those people a shout-out. Uh, we had John Weissman finishing in 16th on Infect. Uh, our friend Ian McCune, uh, piloting Grixis Delvery, did very well with that deck on uh, on Saturday. Anthony Laverde, um, he uh, stepped away from uh, his TES deck that he's normally piloting and uh, placed in 14th with Jeskai Breach. Noah Rabin uh, took down 13th with Grixis Delver. Slater Claudel finished in 12th with Red Black Reanimator. Sebastian Jaramillo uh, finished in 11th with an effect. Um, Robert Buck uh, was on Death and Taxes in 10th. Ian Morency was on uh, in 9th with Bug Delver. Kevin Sprague uh, was in. Uh, so I, I have these as tie, you know, five through eight basically. Uh, on Infect, John Lee on Grixis Delver, Luis Gentile on Eureka Show, and Ben Boradaka on Four Color Miracles. And then our two se- um, you know, third-slash-fourth-place finishers were um, Joseph Parker on Death and Taxes and Bryant Cook on TES. Totally and entertaining Totally spells. exciting spells, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we had uh, Matt Orfanello, like we, we talked about him before. He finished in second on Eureka Tell, and of course, our friend Freya uh, finishing in first. On Fearless Lands and taking home a boatload of cash. Hell yeah. For yeah. sure. I I got a text message from Ian McCowan Lair because I uh, I told him earlier in the day that my plan was to take no prisoners and take the full 1600 home for first place. Um, because I honestly need to pay some bills. Um, <laughs> so that has, that has been, that has been, is, is continuing to be well utilized on, on my front and I'm I'm glad I was able to see it through. That's fantastic, uh, and it was also nice to get just straight up cash, right? Cash is king. I actually i i got it as a, i got it as a check. It's a little easier to deposit as a check. I don't want to walk around sixteen hundred dollars again. Oh really? Oh, see, I'd rather have the cash, but that's just me. That way, I can hide the money from my partner. <laughs> Wait, me or your wife? <laughs> <laughs> Both. <laughs> Jeez. I'm in a polyamorous relationship. <laughs> I get his picture though, like winning a bunch of money at a magic tournament, then getting like pulled over, uh, like <laughs> for like a busted taillight, and the cop being like, yeah. Yeah. Drug yeah. "It's yeah. like, why do you have two thousand dollars in twenty dollar bills in an envelope in your uh, dashboard? Yeah. That's very yeah. suspicious." <laughs> don't don't worry about it, officer. Don't worry about it. Oh man. Well, that's awesome. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add about uh, your your tournament or? Anything you wanted to, you know, I don't, I don't know, highlight before we started wrapping things up? I, I will say again, Tyler Tracker's a hell of a card, and it is definitely one of my favorite magic cards. Yeah, and it's enshrined in your trophy. It is. Uh, can I just say, I learned something new uh, in the final match. Uh, when you were versing Matt, he got a uh, Emrakul out, but he couldn't attack you because you had two tireless trackers 
uh, with a bunch of clue tokens in play. And if he attacked you, you could have lived through the attack because I think you're at like 18 or something. But you would just sacrifice all of the clue tokens to the Emrakul trigger and it would grow the tireless trackers into absolute monsters and kill him on the crackback. Yeah, the, the interaction between uh, Emrakul and tireless trackers is pretty hilarious <laughs> uh, because you definitely do not have to sack them to their own ability to get their trigger. Right. Um, right. I have I have explicitly one on the back of that before where someone just didn't realize it worked like that. And again, I had two trackers and I was just like, all right, you're dead. Here's like 20 power. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Because, yeah, Tyler's tracker says whenever you sacrifice a glue token, not, you know, whenever you activate a glue token, <laughs> specifically sacrifice too. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah, and just and just putting a putting a bunch of permanents on the board really helps because a lot of times what they'll do is, you know, they'll annihilate me the turn I'm trying to combo, and, uh, you know, making a token response literally just means I have less permanents to sack. Uh, so oftentimes in those situations, I end up just cold to a to a annihilator six trigger. But um, Tyler Circuit does a lot of work on that front, which is why I've, uh, you know, I see a lot of people not running four in their sideboard, and I'm pretty sure most of them are wrong. Um, I've run four of that card for quite a long time, and I continue to jam four because in both combo matchups and in control matchups, um, it ends up just doing a lot of work and, and getting around a lot of what people are trying to do against you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. All right, well, Jerry, do we want to get into uh, the scoops and poops section of the show? Scoops! Uh, Jerry, who do you want to scoop into top eight this week? Oh, man, I want to scoop in everyone who came out to the Leaving Legacy Open. It was great seeing everyone. Uh, Michelle and all the fine folks that came in, et cetera, the judge staff. Uh, just, you know, everyone who, uh, Zach in the booth helping us out was huge. But, uh, yeah, just everyone who helped us uh, with the tournament and, you know, made it the success that it was. It was, uh, it was a great time, and it was great seeing everyone. Absolutely. Uh, any poops? Uh, poops. Mm, no, I think, I think I'm good. I'm, I'm very positive. You know, I, uh, no complaints. I'm a very happy go lucky person. Uh, you know, I don't, don't ever complain. Right. Freya. Uh, I would like to say that my poop <laughs> is that Jerry didn't poop. <laughs> I just, I just want to say before we started recording Freya, Freya was upset that we had poops because it was too negative. <laughs> and, and she says that I am a grumpy person. <laughs> I, w- I would never say such a thing. Yeah, I never heard you that. You are a ray of sunshine. Yeah I, never, yeah, I never heard that being spoken, Jerry. I think you're just making it up now. Man, yeah, you got me, guys. Slant, <laughs> slander. This is this is classic this is classic negative Jerry, just making up negative stuff. Uh, guys, can you can you help me out? How do you spell gaslighting? I'm trying to look it up. <laughs> uh, how about you? how about you, Fred? Who are you gonna scoop into top eight this week? Um Scoopins definitely go to um, metaphorically, as I know you don't. I know you don't concede anybody. No, 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 never that. But um, no, I I definitely want to thank uh, Michelle and Gaming Etc. Uh, it was a great event. Um, definitely want to thank y'all for having me on the podcast. Um, and um, you know, honestly, also shout out to people that I stepped on the way to on the way to uh, to winning this event because it was honestly uh, really really good. Uh, fun legacy. Everybody was very friendly. There was a lot of fun banter in top eight. There was a lot of fun banter in, in Swiss. Um, and I didn't really have any problems with anybody being, um, you know, difficult or anything like that. And I, I, I did have to take down two close local friends, uh, in the Swiss. Um, 
And like I told them, I just like, you know, I want this victory. I'm going to take this victory. I'm sorry that you're in the way. Um, but it was, uh, every, again, everybody was really great about it. And it was just a really fun event. That's awesome. I love to hear that. Um, and you said no poops this week, right? Zero, zero poops. Love it. Love it. Um, yeah, uh, I'll, I'll be real quick. Um, of course, I know I'll just reiterate uh, Michelle and her, her staff at Gaming, at gaming etc., um, it's a really fantastic store. I know they are um, uh, right now struggling to keep Legacy going on Tuesdays. The the turnout has been great. So if you're a local and you want to support the uh, the Legacy community here, uh, Tuesdays at Gaming Etc. is a great way to do that. Uh, they also do their Friday F&Ms for Legacy as well. They're holding a 2K. I'm sorry. They're holding a 1K uh, March 14th, I believe. And I think Jerry and I are both planning on playing in that, which is exciting because we haven't gotten to play at gaming, a gaming center, like larger tournament in a long time, like probably over a year and a half now. <laughs> yeah, uh, at this point that we're not casting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's pretty exciting. Um, and uh, and yeah, just uh, you know, support your local local legacy uh, uh, scene. It's important. And um, also, uh, let's see. Uh, you know, thanks to Zach Turgeon. He was uh, just fantastic all day for us. Um, I don't think we'd be able to do, to have as good analysis without him. Um, he, he just, the kid is like, has just an amazing stamina for commentary. It's, it's pretty amazing. So, and he's just like super smart. He knows the game really well. And um, I think people like his analysis and it allows Jerry and I to be kind of a little more, shall we say, colorful with our commentary and um, have a little bit more fun. And, and Zach gets into the nitty gritty. I think that's a nice, a nice dichotomy there for the listeners and viewers. He's, he's got a, he's got a real hell of a brain and I definitely have a lot of respect for him. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, and uh, I only have one poop this week, and it's just uh, my own stupidity. Actually, uh, I, the way I so go ahead. No, go on, go on. You finish. No, 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 no. Please finish interrupting. What? <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. I have something really important to say. I actually, I actually do have a poop, Pat. <laughs> okay. It's to. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. It's to Josh because that because Josh got a ride with me to the tournament. Which means even though he like scrubbed out after the fifth round, he had to stick around all day and wait for me to leave uh, to drive him home. And as we're walking, out, I'm like, "Oh, why don't you like come in the booth? Like, because he, he's getting into content creation and streaming mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, you should have come in. We could have got you the rounds." He's like, uh, "I don't know. I don't know if I feel confident enough to do that. Do that. I mean, like maybe if I was there with someone who uh, like actually like really knew the format, like Zach." I would feel okay with doing it. <laughs> and he's just like, and like he didn't even realize what he was saying as I'm staring him in the face. That <laughs> like, is awesome. So the truth poops on hearts, Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Damn, Jerry, you got dunked on, bro. Uh, I got burned really hard. So poop, poops on, uh, poops on Josh. <laughs> no, Josh is Josh is great. I'm gonna reverse that poop. Uh, actually, I don't know. I don't know if he told you, Freya, but um, <laughs> he was he was really rooting for you in the top eight. And, uh, I'm like, oh, he's like Freya's just like always really nice to me whenever I'm in and really supportive. It, like I want her to win. <laughs> I, I I try. I try. Uh, so yeah, poops on Josh though. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what? I'm I'm just gonna leave that one there. I'm not even gonna have my own poop now. That was that was a good one. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, well, before we get out of here, Freya, if people want to get a hold of you, do you do Facebook? Do you do Twitter at all? If people want to ask you questions about the deck or give you congratulations, I do not do Twitter uh, or any anything else really. I do Facebook though. Um, so the best place to find me is I still uh, manage the um, the New England Real Estate Coalition, the um, 
the Facebook lands group. So um, again, New England, like the region and real estate, like the stuff you sell property with and coalition. Um, so that is where to really find me. Um, we're a great community of lands players uh, and also people who enjoy a good meme uh, and a funny and a funny group name. Um, so if you wanna if you wanna find me, I'll be I'll be on there. Uh, my face is all over that group, and um, I'd love to talk about the deck. Uh, but that's the easiest way to find me. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, you can find Jerry at J M E E three R D. You can find me at Pat Uglo. The stream, of course, is twitch.tv slash Leaving a Legacy. Uh, you can find us on Patreon. Uh, it's a huge help for the podcast. If you want to support us directly, it's patreon.com slash Leaving a Legacy. You can find us, in, find us on Hipster of the Coast. Join the Facebook group and email us, leavingalegacy at hipstersofthecoast.com. And as always, want to spend the last second here thanking our, our fantastic editor, Justin Lutz. He's our audio tech, sound engineer, um, and he really just does a fantastic job of just scrubbing out all the bong rips and bubbling uh, bubbling bong hits that Jerry's making in the background. All his coughing fits. Wow. And uh, him him's just like straight up like straight up munching on weed brownies throughout the entire podcast. He scrubs all that out I've, and makes him sound pretty coherent, which is nice. It's a nice change because Jerry's not often very coherent in person or on the podcast. So uh, it takes it takes a quite a, a miracle of editing work for uh, for that to for you guys to get the product where it's Jerry sounds uh, you know uh, basically uh, sane. And uh, so I just want to give uh, give Justin a shout out for that. Wow. <laughs> I feel uh, I feel targeted, but okay. <laughs> yeah, well, ne- maybe next time you learn to shut the fucking door, Jerry. <laughs> uh, Freya, Freya, could you ever hear anything coming from the casting booth? <laughs> yeah, it sounded like Jerry pooping all over the place. <laughs> there it is. Uh, uh, all right. Thanks so much, guys, for hanging out. We really appreciate it. Um, Freya, thank you so much for being on. It was great to have you. It's really good to be here. Thanks again for having me. Awesome. And uh, we will catch you all next week. And remember, uh, enjoy your edibles. Bye.